Welcome to the Social Propertypreneur Podcast. And here is your host, social media queen, property investor, and entrepreneur, Laura Muse. Hello, I'm so excited today. I have got together these three awesome ladies. And if you've not come across them before, I have no idea why not. You should be looking out for them. I've got Laura Muse, Faith Locken, and Jackie Tongs on the podcast today. And for those of you who don't know, I'm Natasha Collins. We are here today to give you guys a market overview what we're seeing happening in the market because we're all working in different areas and different sectors and also we've all got different clients so we'll be seeing things from completely different points of view as well and one thing that really I'm sure we all have in common is that people are constantly asking us what's going on with the market is it really optimistic right now or should we be feeling like things aren't going very well and so we're going to give our overview of what we think is happening. We're going to have a good conversation about it um, and hopefully give you some really good takeaways as to what we think. I'm going to caveat this with, to start off with, none of us in the whole of our property investment education lives have been given a crystal ball by the property gods. So <laughs> <laughs> as much as we would have liked you might have been. <laughs> I want it. <laughs> So we we have to I have to caveat by this. This is our opinions. This is what we're seeing in the market. Obviously, uh, after the date of recording, and we are recording on the twenty seventh of July, the market contained. You know, we've seen things happen instantly. We saw, you know, the market pretty much come to a standstill for a couple of things over the last couple of years. I mean, as surveyors, the day that that we had the no deal Brexit vote and everything stopped in the market <laughs> and the RICS came out with new guidelines and we were like, what? That has the ability to keep happening. So just to be to be aware, this is the date that we are talking about the market from. Okay, so caveat over. First question, how's everybody finding the market right now? It's weird. I think that'd be my overall summary. It is weird. Like, it's just like, a, I think it's like a complete, what's the word, like dichotomy? Like, what the market feels and also how surveyors are feeling it's like it's like it's we're in a different world and i think that i'm finding that quite frustrating at the moment is that you can see this like huge current positivity in the market and you know i think what a lot of us feared coming out of lockdown how badly the market could be affected hasn't been the reality at this stage um but the way that I don't know, Natasha mentioned here from your perspective, like how surveyors are viewing things is still with this caution that even though the market data doesn't reflect the fact the market has dropped, surveyors are impacting valuations, but people are, the market's really hot, stuff's really selling really quickly. So it's like, it's in this weird state of flux. I don't know how you guys are finding it, but that's kind of a, my nutshell version. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, mean, for me, I mean, obviously I'm based in Sheffield, which is up north and prices are absolutely crazy um i mean i'm sure it's similar from where where you guys are as well but you know you're talking 10 15 20 000 pounds over the advertised price you know for something that needs 10 15 000 pounds worth of work um it's just it's just crazy and you know just by talking to the estate agents it isn't just it's not it's not just first time buyers it's actually investors um, yeah. in this area that are still buying and they're buying way over what it's worth yeah um, 
which I just don't understand. Is it I, the frustration of being in lockdown? You feel the need to buy something? Because that's the only common sense reason I could actually come up with why you would do that. I wonder if it's... Um, if it's, you know, investors who've got cash sitting in the bank, that's not making them any money. Um, and therefore, they have the ability to overpay just to have their pro- their money in property. Um, because similar to you, Laura, I've found that, you know, I've been outbid at auction a few times now, you know, during lockdown on properties where I'm like, you should not be buying it for that much. Like, there's just no margin at all. Um, and it's interesting when you watch the bidding, you see like all the regular investors drop out at the price which we would normally pay. Mm-hmm. And then there's usually two or three people bidding back and forth up to like over 20K over what you should really be paying for it. Um, so I, potentially that could be a reason. Um, from a surveying perspective, I know, so I work at JLL and our valuations team have actually now removed the market uncertainty clause from our valuations as of last month. But I know that some of the other advisory firms have kept that clause in. So similar to what you've said, Jackie, it's a weird place where different people are feeling positive. Other people are feeling still negative. So there's no kind of you know consistency across the market at all. So everyone's just playing the guessing game at the moment. And it's all that what if, right? What happens if this this comes in? In which case, I would overpay on it. I think never ever overpay on a property, especially when we haven't got comparables for the last two months, because Land Registry stopped printing their data for May and April, and they've still not released data for June. So we cannot realistically see what people would pay for a property. And so we're going off March figures and then everybody's a little bit excited because they've got the extra stamp duty in their pocket, which is not that exciting. <laughs> <in the slightest>. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, here we, here we are with people saying, well, Natasha, I just can't get a good, can't get a good deal. Every time I go out and I put an offer in, people come along and they outbid me. And in that situation, let them outbid you, honestly. <laughs> You do not want to be that person who's thinking, oh, God, I saw someone get outbid by 25%. 25%. the point. Why? I do Is it like... Frustration of everyone being in lockdown and they've come out of, obviously, the race traps and they want to buy as much as they can because the money has been sat there, especially a couple of people I've spoken to. You know, I'm not a, a seasoned investor, so to speak. You know, I only really started investing full time in 2018. It's my husband that's been doing it since 2013. So I am still learning. But one thing I have learned is, you know, because we've got money sat in the bank that we're paying interest on from investors that have lent us over a four or five year period. But do you know what? I would rather keep that money for another four, five, six months until I know that I'm actually getting a good deal, not just panic because I want it to, to be earning any money, because what you're going to be buying, you're not actually going to be earning any money. It's just, for me, it's just people are patient enough to wait to see yeah. what happens. People are just going ahead and doing it. And I think they're going to, I think they're going to fall on the face. And I, I genuinely feel maybe back end of this year, beginning of next year, when, you know, everyone's not furloughed anymore, that's when we're going to see a massive impact. You know, the big impact I've seen in, in our business is mainly we've only got one HMO, one high-end HMO, 
I've had um, tenants in there for the last 12 months, never, you know, qualmed or quibbled. And they've all moved out um, because of uncertainty with the jobs have gone back to their parents. But on the flip side, you know, 95% of our portfolio is back to lets. Not one person's moved. Not one person's given, you know, rung me up and said they can't afford to pay the rent. For me, buy to lets have always been a safe and sound investment. And you get all these flashy, you know, HMOs and you get service accommodation. But I think proving the pudding these last few months has 100% been buy to lets are rock solid investments, I feel personally anyway. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think you're right about the patience point. And it's almost like something's taken away. Like you say to us all, you can't, you can't have a bar of chocolate. Well, immediately you want a bar of chocolate. And like, I will pay over the odds for that bar of chocolate because I, I want it and I can't have it. Um, so I think I agree that there's a huge amount of impatience. And I, I feel the same as you that I feel grateful to have, to be in the position that we, you know, but buy to let is that is what we do. That's what our portfolio is. That's what we've built over the last seven years. And that, it has been really solid. Like we were very pessimistic at one point. We, um, we looked at the whole portfolio. We analyzed every single, uh, tenant that we have renting from us, what their profession is, how much of it's supported by benefits. And from our, you know, we can be quite pessimistic when we want to be. We were like, well, we could easily see like 19% of our rents not being paid based on what was happening. Um, and we, in reality, we haven't seen that. So normally we target a 95% revenue yield, which would mean that we receive 95% of all rents in any given month. And that 5% mostly accounts for voids and a small percentage of arrears. Um, we, we've been at 93.5%, 94%, like we're within the normal range. And I think you're right. Um, it's because people, people aren't moving so much. People are happier to stay still at this point just because of what's, what's happened. So, um, yeah, buy to let's the way and having that longer term view, you, you can ride it out. I 100% agree. I've found the same thing. Like my uh, old tenants moved out was it beginning of March and I had my property relet within a week. Um, but that's just the benefit of being very close to the university and the and, um, Queen's Medical Centre, which is like the largest um, hospital in the Midlands um and yeah my tenant actually happens to be an NHS staff member um so my rent has been paid and get and you know they haven't defaulted at all um and that's why I've, I've always been a, buy, a fan of buy to lets and I think the reason why people are maybe avoiding HMOs is because of you know social distancing is it's going to change everything it's going to change you know how people want to live professionals might not necessarily want to now live you know in groups of you know, five or whatever, they might hold out a bit longer, stay at, you know, their parents' houses a bit longer until they can either afford to rent, you know, a one bed apartment on their own or, um, or, you know, buy their own property outright. So, yeah, I, d I don't know how the HMO market's going to go, if I'm honest. I think it's going to have to change anyway, because you're seeing councils who are now banding rooms. <laughs> and we started seeing yeah. that across the country. And I think that's all part of this, the kind of, well, actually, councils don't have the time to police it, really. You know, they are being shrunk and shrunk and shrunk. But when they do go out and have to police these rogue properties, HMOs are always the ones that they have to, you know, slap the landlord's hand, he deal out hefty fines. You know, there's been a lot of criminal sentencing over dodgy HMOs. And I think with the fit for habitation bill and the room size bill and 
I forget what the HMO bill was called, but you know, with all of this coming in, we're going to have to get to a point with the HMO market where you do small bed sits, you give people their individual space, and there's a lot of lot of things out there which enables you to do it. But gone are the times where we're going to have communal rooms. If you can put an ensuite in a bedroom, you can also put an elf in kitchen, and you can make space for a sofa. And from there, you've got a bed sit. Fine, that can be your market, but. HMOs, I, I can't see it. We've always loads of um, direct to H- HMO landlords at mail outs, and we did one in uh, sorry March, we were in March just before COVID um, hit us properly, and we've had twenty one to date separate landlords contacting us, offering us, do we want to sell, do we, we want to buy their HMO, or will we give them a guaranteed rent option? And some of these landlords have got six, eight bed HMOs. So it's absolutely crazy. And all of them are all student landlords. Because in Sheffield, I don't know what it's like where you guys are, but, you know, Sheffield Uni haven't 100% committed for all the students to come back in September. And a lot of them are empty. Like last year in Sheffield alone, Sheffield University had over 400 of their own rooms vacant for the last term. So, you know, it, it's massively affected the HMO um, bubble in Sheffield. There's a lot of high-rise blocks that are now empty in the brand new accommodation. I, I just, I'm struggling to, to see how you can build a business on that at the moment, especially in, in the times we're in, you know, there's so much vacant under standard properties that, you know, you know, they're, they're trying to charge like 45, 50 pound a room. Like that's just nothing. You can't make anything doing that. It's not a business, it's not a viable business to do that. Um, you know, we've really struggled to build that HMO. And like I say, it's only four beds, so mini HMO. It's in the prime location, Sheffield. Um, you know, it only got renovated last year. We're charging £500 a room. We've filled it now. But I wasn't going to drop my prices to get in a price war with everybody else in Sheffield. Because we, we provide great accommodation. And we, you know, we've got people from the NHS that are now filling it. But going forward for me, I'm really hesitant about HMOs. I, don't feel for me right now it's it's not the lifestyle like Jackie obviously you know talks about a lot about you know what's your end goal what's the lifestyle you want to create and Covid for me has confirmed that HMOs is not not what I I want in my life mm. <laughs> <laughs> HMO bashing <laughs> it does work for some people but you have to be so determined my my gosh you have to be like here rather than you know just getting by and I think you also have to have a diversified tenant profile as well um you know if you are just focusing on the student market and you know as we know the student market has been hit um your rooms are going to be empty but if you look to service I don't know contractors professionals um just a range of tenant types um you might then you know like bulletproof your portfolio a little bit but um yeah I'd say that's also true for single lets as well like it's we've got a really varied uh tenant type um that we rent uh, our properties to and I'd never truly appreciated how important that was before like it's more happened by accident and design to be honest with you and actually now that I see how that's 
worked out i'm like now that needs to be designed because having that 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 shift that spread between some people are self-employed running their own businesses some people are employed like by the nhs some are supported by uh, mostly by benefits um like having that real range in different industries I don't think that's ever been more important than it is now because it gives you that that spread. And obviously, some are going to be in the like the leisure and hospitality industry, and they're being hit the worst. But you can you can deal with some of that um, as long as it's not everyone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree definitely. So, I didn't realise actually um, my types of tenant until this happened. Like I never really yeah. thought too much about what they did for a job, but like. As soon as COVID hit, we're like, oh my God, what does everybody do? (laughs) (laughs) It's so important. Yeah. Like those right to rent, right to rent checks that we were all complaining about when we thought that the government were trying to put us in charge of immigration. And now we're like, thank goodness. Like (laughs) we have to check out what everybody's doing, what they do for work. Definitely. That's a good, that's like a really good change, change from covid and caring more about your tenants it has to be a landlord and tenant relationship and Mm. i I mean i preach about this until the cows come home but i think now more than ever if you have never spoken to your tenant that is a problem definitely definitely so we've talked about what the property market is doing and we've kind of touched on covid19 and we will come back around to it but what are you seeing on social media what are the biggest myths or fads fads which are untrue that you're seeing on social media or what you're seeing on social media in general um I, I, I don't know if I'll take this one first but um I I don't know if it's a fad so much but I think there are a lot of property trainers out there um good and bad who are you know still very much advertising in certain um, property investment strategies and, and saying, you know, it's it's still working or, you know, COVID hasn't impacted their business. And I know for a fact that it has, for example, serviced accommodation in London for me. So I actually, <laughs> rightly or wrongly, invested in a serviced accommodation unit literally like two weeks before lockdown. Um, and I literally have not seen a return on that property since then. Fortunately, I'm in a position where I can cover, you know, the monthly rent and and like bills and service charge and whatnot um and now like in the past month we're starting to you know revenue is starting to pick up but, but for those three months there were no travelers coming in and it's a central london location unit um so it's very much targeted at the tourism market so you know i've taken that hit and i'm seeing people advertising service accommodation saying you know it it, it works or whatever and i'm like it does to a certain extent if you have diversified your your profile of tenants. So not only just focusing on tourism, but looking at contractors, looking at professionals, looking at, you know, various different people to take on those service accommodation units. Um, but yeah, that, that's been my personal experience. And it really irks me when I see these adverts and I'm like, please don't just, you know, throw thousands of pounds away for training um, to get into an industry which at the moment is struggling. Um, at least wait if anyone is considering serviced accommodation I implore you to wait you know (laughs) for at least six to twelve months but I think as well like along those lines too that it's been used as an opportunity by some great marketeers to sell you on setting up a whole new business like I've seen this a lot Mm. like oh what you're currently doing 
doesn't work. So just suck it all off and just do this new faddy, much more exciting thing. And I'm just like, I'm tearing my hair out going, okay, yes, the thing that you're doing isn't working great right now, but that doesn't mean you just abandon ship of it. Like, how can you, how can you tweak it? How can you adjust it? Like there's got to be a way that you can make it work better. And I've just seen so much of it and it makes me so sad. I'm like, you're going to, most of you are going to waste a lot of time setting up something else new that actually has got its own downsides anyway, when you could have been working on your existing business and making it more resilient. Uh, Mm. So that's my soapbox moment (laughs) moment for today. (laughs) For me, I just, I feel, now I don't know, I might upset some people. I don't don't know. We'll see. (laughs) Um, So what I found is, obviously, like going back to the training element of it, Yes, I feel like it, it has a place and it's important at a certain stage. But I feel like at the minute, everybody's a property trainer. People that have been doing it a few months are a property trainer. And I feel it's a time where people really, really need to be doing the due diligence on people when you sign up for these courses. There's lots of people I know that have taken these cheap courses during covid and, you know, they're a waste of money. They've got no value. And actually, that person who's giving that content hasn't even purchased a buy-to-let. Um, you know, they're still at the beginning of their journey as well. And I feel it's a massive miss-sell for people. They've just jumped on the bandwagon. I think it's really unfair and unethical, if I'm honest. You know, I've, I've never done a property course. I've done how I view social media. And if I'm honest with you, you know, you know, Natasha, you know, it was 96 quid, and it's basically to point someone in a direction of when we've had several conversations and they're kind of a bit fed up having them conversations anymore. Um, that's kind of where I've directed them. It's not where I want to go. Um, I also feel there's a lot of naysayers out there. So, you know, all doom and gloom and you can get very consumed on social media with that, you know, especially if you're not feeling great yourself that day, you might have had a tenant turn around and say they're not paying. And then, you know, you get drawn into that negativity and, and, for me, what I found is, especially when COVID first hit, I did get drawn into that. That first week, you know, none of us has ever been through anything like this before. And it was all doom, gloom. Oh, my God, we're all going to go bust. We're all going to have to sell us properties. Um, and I, I was panicking. Like, I was having palpitations. I was having sleepless nights, which is not my personality. Um, and it was someone who I knew were actually with me. like, Flora, I don't know what's going on with you, but you're going to need to stop, stop doing this one. <laughs> going on because I'm coming across like that and that's just not how I am mm-hmm. um I think you can get very I think you need to batten down the hatch just a little bit and be a little bit selfish and I think you need to go into self-preservation mode if I'm honest and cut out the bullshit because social media is absolutely full of it and what I found is people have really thrived in this time and people have been very transparent so you can kind of see them for actually what they are so I think it's had its positive and positives and negatives um, but I think it's out of a lot of people that actually are doing what they're saying doing on the tin. Do you not think that it's also led to a lot of how I don't even think I can put this people calling each other out on stuff that oh. they should not be calling each other out on. Like we don't need to be sat here reading about other people's disputes and who they're taking to court and this, that and the other. Like for me, like I have to just mute. I don't, I don't want to be seeing that on social media. If you've made a mistake, own it for yourself and tell people what the mistake is. Like, we've all made mistakes, you know. I've been in this industry so long and as a surveyor, I've made mistakes. And I've held my hand up and gone, shit, I missed that. 
you know, and like, it's been embarrassing at the time. And I'm sure that it will continue to happen throughout the rest of my career, you know, but bless you. <laughs> I'm glad I was on mute. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't, I just, I sometimes think we have to take responsibility for what we're doing. And if you have not chosen to be informed enough about what you're doing, maybe you've missed on the due diligence and hey, everybody's been there and missed on the due diligence. I cannot phone every agent to find out what market values are. And sometimes people don't get back to me and maybe because they're hiding something or maybe they're not hiding something. You know, you can't see 100% of everything, right? But what would you do next time rather than bashing the person who you think the problem is? That would be my take on it. I really, I can't look at it. If, if you've done that, I've probably muted or blocked you. Well, do you know what I think as well? I mean, I, I used to have horses and the horsey world is such a bitchy world. Like, literally, people would stab you in the back as soon as they look at you. And when I first got into property, I did. I found it weird that people genuinely wanted to help you without no ulterior motive. Um, but what I have found in lockdown is, like you said, Natasha, that has changed because I feel like people are out and about doing viewings, doing the refurbs, being sat at home festering the mind's been on over time and I think they've kind of conjured up these scenarios or maybe something that's small has been blown out of proportion and it's come out on social media and it's probably not come out in the best way but I think it's down to people feeling frustrated bored mm. need to go out and do something and that's what the horsey people are like <laughs> no should we also talk Actually, I think let's put a flip on this. What are the good things that we're doing in social media? What are we seeing? Because I know there's a lot of negativity and then, I mean, I can get trapped in it and just be like, oh my God, like I can't do this, like block it or not looking at it. I know that Laura, you and I have had a conversation about this before. What is the benefit of using social media right now? What are we getting from it? Well, I found that, so I sort of, a, I think about a week or two into lockdown, started doing uh, weekly lives with other property investors and developers. And it's just been a great way to connect with people that I might not have connected with previously. Um, and I found a lot of people have actually been messaging me um, wanting to, you know, get advice or support in looking for their first, you know, property for, to, to buy their first home or first investment property. And I've actually had a few investors reach out to me wanting to make their money work for them. So it's, it's, it's actually been, you know, really like good for me in that sense. When I ignore all of the other stuff that's going on, all the negative stuff in the positive light, I've connected with more people than I ever would have done, you know, if we weren't in lockdown. Mm -hmm. I think that's, I found that it's been a weird dichotomy that for me, like when lockdown hit, I was like, I, I'm going to be one of those people who like stands up and like does a good job during this time. Like I'm going to, we're going to shine through this time. That was my like plan. Um, and I exhausted myself in the process of like trying to be there and help everyone. Um, but what we did do that I'm really proud of, which social media has been a big part of making that all possible was, you know, before um, with the work that we do in property strategy, I was very like much one-to-one -one focused. 
And actually during this time, using things like Facebook groups have brought my clients all like a lot closer um, and created far more of a community. And actually how that is working in terms of people being supported by each other because the great people have come together and stood up and like come together and uh, and in a way that is far better than it would ever have been if it was an in-person thing because you just couldn't do it enough to have that kind of um, support. That for me has been something that's really great that's come out of that that social being more connected uh, during this time. Yeah, I completely agree with both of you. Um, I mean, I've done exactly the same as you. Like, you've, you've put yourself out there so much to help other people. You've absolutely exhausted yourself in the process, <laughs> um, which is 100% what I did. But from, like, helping people get on social media and, you know, people didn't feel confident, but... You know, God, I've connected with so many people that I never would have connected with before. You know, I don't go to loads of networking events. And this time for me, you know, it took me a week to kind of get a hold of the reins when obviously everything happened when we locked down. And But I just thought, do you know what? This is a time for you to make, you know, to be one of them people that people thought, do you know what, in lockdown, Jackie Tomes, Faith, Natasha, Laura Mews, they all went out there and put great content out there and they really helped other people get through this difficult time. And I think you can, you know, it has been the time to make or break you as a, a public figure or an influencer or whatever you want to call it. Um, so that's really what I did put my focus into was helping people in my group, in my community, doing challenges. But also it's led to so many other speaking opportunities speaking about like doing this with you guys now and um, you know live podcasts for people and connecting with people I probably never would have done and um, so I think it's had massive positive impact in, in my business and mm-hmm. um, you know the investors and it's I think it's it's been the time to shine let's put it that way <laughs> oh my gosh I agree with you did I meet all you all you ladies through COVID like yeah. we actually sat down and and had proper conversations through COVID. And Faith, I know we've we've met ages ago in the past, although I like I need to remember that event. Um, but I would never have had the time to have an actual one-on-one conversation with you all. And like, how nice has that been? And the fact that our brands then cross over and like none of us are in competition with each other, we just get on. Girl power. (laughs) That 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 is definitely like for me, and you know, and and also it helps us support each other too because nobody's an island, and sometimes you can put yourself out there in the industry and be a bit like, "Oh wait, like should I be doing this? Like, am I being silly? What am I seeing? Is this silly? Like, you know, it puts perspective on it because we can also get, I can also definitely get in my bubble." I think as well, like for me as someone who's like very much a freedom seeker, I love to travel, um, but I also love to go and speak at events. And those kind of two things are, you know, it's possible to logistically manage them around each other. But actually, it's easier if you don't have to do that and logistically manage it. And like, I love that you can speak at, you know, some event in Scotland one day and Cornwall the next day. um, And actually, you're somewhere else entirely in the world like that for me, if I could have like designed a life 
like COVID has actually helped to make that life possible because everyone's just far more accepting of that as a concept. So that, you know, we're talking about a wider benefit of it all happening that for me, I, I wouldn't be sitting here doing this if it wasn't for, for that, this bizarre time in the world. Very true. Very, very true. So let's move on to what are your worries for the next 12 to 18 months in the property industry? What do we, what do you think we should be concerned about? Valuations. Like that's my biggest worry, valuations and loans to values. How exciting is my life? (laughs) Yeah, I just think that um, for us, we're like really adjusting how we're working based on the fact that I just don't trust what valuation will come back um you know trying to revalue later this year or early next year um how the comments that are made on the valuation report will influence what loan to value like in terms of like that getting in and out of deals so we do blocks of flats that's our primary focus um but we also do package up deals for individual investors as well so it's small uh, like flats basically but for me it's got to be like for us, we're getting around it by extending the timeframes that we're working on, like with our with our investors, we are making the plan to be around, not trying to refinance in six to nine months, because I just don't, If obviously, if I can, and the, the market is different to what we fear it could be, then fine. Um, but my fear is that it could really screw you over and get you into a not very good position if you don't plan it right. So that's that's my biggest concern. Valuations for me and revaluations. And we've got a couple coming up um, early next year. We're thinking, oh my gosh, <laughs> what's going to happen? Um, it's just, it's just the real uncertainty. Like, who knows what's going to happen? But it's not. You can't go through everything we've just been through. And there's not going to be a knock-on effect. Um, and the people who think there isn't, um, I, I would argue a complete opposite point. Um, but revaluations, valuations are, are definitely for us. Obviously, purchasing, we buy in cash, we refurb, we refinance. Um, that's what we do in our business the majority of the time. You know, we're, we're looking at um, an a, a, a 18-unit commercial bedsit building at the minute. Um, you know, we're trying to get an evaluation now because and try to agree a deal now because, you know, we want to get it through as soon as we can at this end because we don't want to be doing it in... Nine, nine months time because it's going to be completely different we wouldn't get the mortgage that we'd need um and i think doing stuff like that for us is a concern if i'm, if I'm really honest yeah i mean i would just echo what you two have said in terms of valuations but i i also worry for um there's a lot of newbie investors i've been getting a lot of requests from people wanting to get into inv- property investment now um you know looking to do buy refurb refinance deals but not really understanding you know the lending market how it works how bridging works getting into um you know locked into these bridging bridging loans which uh, you know, are going to need to be serviced and are going to come to an end at the end of the term. And if you can't revalue um, at the higher, you know, at what you anticipated the new market value would be, you're going to be screwed. And so I'm really concerned for those who are kind of entering the market now, not so much for people who who are seasoned and understand and have kind of, you know, future-proofed their portfolio or are being patient and not, you know, jumping straight into deals. I think there's going to be a lot of um, people maybe defaulting uh, on loans and that kind of thing so yeah that's where my concern is mm. do you want to know i'm going to go slightly out 
different different direction altogether and my big concerns. The valuation thing is is a complete worry. Um, and the only thing that I've been doing is just basing on the fact that everything's like 10 to 20% lower than I was expecting right now. And when it's higher, happy days. Number one, being a commercial surveyor, this planning youth class, the youth class order change will impact valuations on uh, commercial leases and the extent of that at the moment, I'm kind of like weighing it up. I'd probably still value a rent based upon now all of the used classes as they were previously. And I know that that's going to cause a lot of disputes with tenants. And I think that it's going to have to, you're going to have to be very much fixing in your use class when you agree a lease and you have to be definite but also know that now that everything falls under youth class e you're going to get a tenant surveyor who's going to come back and argue so damn hard there's going to be so many disputes over that um commercial leases in general we need to be watching out for um like all of the covid clauses that are going to be put in and the fact that commercial tenants are asking for clauses to go into a lease which says in the event of a pandemic, they just get to like waive all the rents. Now, what is the definition of pandemic? When does that come in? And as a, as a landlord, how much do I up the rent? Or as a, as a commercial surveyor, how much am I upping the rent for them to have the privilege of that clause? So all of that mm. kind of worries me because then I've got to go and lecture on that come September. And I'm like still trying to work it out in my head. What would I do? What would be reasonable for me to do? what would be reasonable for a tenant to come back with and try and play that middle ground. Secondly, if one of the big things that worries me is that we've needed leasehold reform for years and that was meant to come out in February and they're still debating on it because COVID has slowed it all down and I'm in leasehold tribunal tomorrow, which I'm so glad <laughs> that you can now do that from New York. But at the same time, like, it's just the uncertainty over previous like housing acts and um, all of the, everything that goes into that, which I was hoping leasehold reform back in February was kind of going to overturn and also bring in more stringent measures around managing agents, because I feel like a managing agent has to be regulated at this point in order to be able to administer service charges and things like that for me is would stop all of these disputes. But the fact that that's not come in because of COVID worries me that we drag this on and it will even be forgotten about because it won't be at the, gov the top of the government's uh, like hierarchy of things to change. So for, for me, like that is my worry is that all of this was coming out. There's been snap changes, which the government can seem to do in an instant, but the things that are, hold that are slowing down the industry haven't changed as quickly when they were meant to and that for me is uh, a big worry because that is also going to impact on valuations mm. so that's my two cents of the things that i've been wanting to happen but <laughs> haven't can i throw one more thing in yeah um i mean i don't know about you guys but when i've been speaking to some new, some new investors as in new that i've never spoken to before a lot of them are really keen on doing flips now that is not something I would be doing right now. Flip. No, why is everyone wanting to do that? I agree. I'm confused. Also, the price of goods has gone through the roof. 
I mean, we're selling a flip at the moment. It's on the market, 10 grand above what we expected, which is great. It's going to hit the boom. But one, it might come back and be valued at 130, not 140. Mm. So that's completely different. Um, you know, we've got the new builds that we've done. We've not had one offer on any of them. There's three of them. But luckily for us, you know, we've got three exits. We can refinance and keep and rent them out or we can do a tenant buyer. So that's fine. But I just think especially newer investors, why the hell would you go in and want to buy, refurbish something? You're going to have to wait for the six-month rule anyway to sell it. And God knows what's going to happen in six months' time. I just think it's crazy. But going back to what we said earlier, it's what people are still teaching. Yeah. Are they factoring in the fact that, number one, you can't get a lot of goods? Well, and when you can... The builders' merchants have put such a huge markup on it. Bag of plaster, what was seven seven mm. pounds, is about twenty to twenty five pounds right now. Have you factored that in in your contingency? Like, you know what? We've only got plaster because we've got a new build site, so they're prioritising new build sites over renovations. So that's why we've got plaster. Does anybody know about that? Like, people never do the research. <laughs> You're going to get a lot of inquiries, Laura. <laughs> yeah, everyone's new best friend. You can mark up Give me your plaster. <laughs> How exciting are we, by the way? I know, right, that we know this stuff. But this is this is about being a seasoned investor and talking to other investors, right? If we if we weren't talking to people and staying in our own little bubbles, we'd just think it's the norm and that we were going around doing this, but. Even like construction jobs, you still have to make sure that you've got the right PPE for people, that they can, that everything's disinfected every 30 minutes, maybe a little bit longer, but you cannot have people on site if they are not doing that. And you can only have a certain number of people on site because they can't work within very close proximity. Or you have to be giving them, you know, complete face coverings. That slows down your job. And that's not because it's a bad thing, but if you're then waiting for your finance, uh, or you, you're, you, you're, you're then waiting for your job to finish, your finance is going up. And if you cannot renegotiate on the terms of your bridge or your development finance, how much extra does that cost you on a monthly basis? We were at that point once of a bridge, a bridge end date looming. And I can tell you from experience, it was like one of the worst parts of my life. It was so stressful. The terms were not flexible. Um, and we managed to get the a refinance done in time, but it was just horrendous. And I can't imagine what that would have been like in a period that the property market was in a downturn. And so I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm glad that we kind of went through it because it kind of teaches you the lesson. But if you haven't experienced that before, I can tell you that it's absolutely horrendous and you won't sleep at night um and everything becomes hard and there's no matter how hard you push that that world goes at the speed that it wishes to go at um and uh, yeah be careful i think is the message that is coming through from us all mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so let's flip it on its head because i always like to present the balanced argument what are we feeling optimistic about deal <laughs> <laughs> More deals. <laughs> All right, I'm a bit overexcited. <laughs> I'd say from from where I'm standing or sitting, <laughs> it's um, I always look try and look for you know the silver lining or the opportunities in in things like this. And I work in you know the office sector essentially, so I buy and sell office buildings. And we've 
seen a lot of the office tenants that were had committed to take new commercial leases in new build developments have now decided, well, actually COVID has taught us that we don't need to work, you know, spend, you know, 70 pounds a foot on a, a brand new office building in, you know, central London. We can get our employees to either work from home or work flexibly. Um, and so, Whereas from an investment point of view, it's not great because we're having to try and rewrite, you know, business cases for our investors to buy these office buildings. But at the same time, if, you know, there's going to be less um, commercial tenants and office buildings are going to be vacant, there's opportunity there to, you know, repurpose um, vacant buildings. You know, we've seen the changes recently in permitted development rights. There's just, there's so much opportunity out there um, if you if you know what you're looking for and how to, you know, optimize these opportunities. I think there's there's a lot that can be done. Like, you know, this is not the time to be idle at all. I do think the commercial market off- offers a huge amount of opportunities. I for sure have got my feelers out on a load of commercial because number one, With the leases left to run, you can get them at over 10% gross yield. And I know I don't normally talk gross, but that's always my starting point with commercial is I look at that first before we go into, you know, all the nitty gritty. And then with with the commercial tenants, I'm quite, you know, I, I look at them to see actually, will you stand the test of time and do you like being where you are and do a lot of inquiries on on the tenant that's in situ and then I think also, because with all these change of uses, actually, as a landlord, even though I've been complaining about how I'm going to value rents for landlords who've wanted a certain rent valued in a way, as a new investor, that offers so much opportunity for me to go, well, actually, now, it was once an office, now it could be retail, now, actually, I'm going to put an agent in there, or we could put a bank in there, or maybe we could use that as a little bit of a restaurant with some a a5 which is now going to be e like so I take a restaurant with a takeaway that we would have never got before say what like okay now we can get innovative and then that's where i get super excited i'm like okay well then i can buy up the cheap units know that i can use it for whatever i want don't have to go through planning permission fabulous put a open user clause in the lease and then get pretty tactical with that so that for me is a massive opportunity right now. I know probably for a lot of people, everything I've just said sounds really scary. <laughs> but I, like, for me, like I get so excited about being able to do the strategy behind leases because not being in the country as much, that is the only thing that I have access to change and add value to. So like, whereas you guys probably get excited by development, I get excited by leases. <laughs> yeah, I get excited by both, which is, you know, maybe doubly sad. I don't know. But um, I, I genuinely think there'll be a lot more um, developers considering inputting, you know, flexible working units uh, space in their developments nearer. So which are, you know, residential developments are often nearer to residential communities as opposed to, you know, in central London. Um, I've got a friend of mine at the moment who's considering a new business venture where she specifically looks for um spaces in sort of you know zone two zone three which she can convert to you know serviced offices um and allow people to work you know close to home almost working from home but not in your home and I think that's what we're going to see I think we're going to see a lot of people come out of COVID thinking I don't want to go back to my office in central London but I don't want to work from home because there's too many distractions so where is that in between and there lies an opportunity 
for people that are savvy enough to, you know, to take that opportunity um, and run with it. Mm-hmm. I think I would come at a slightly different angle in terms of what I'm feeling optimistic about. And it's, I guess, I didn't think that the market would be, I mean, obviously it's a really weird market at the moment, but I kind of thought it would be in a really bad place right now. That's, that's what I imagined was probably going to be, or at least would be going into a very bad place. And right now it's not. Um, and what that's given us all is a bit of breathing space to actually plan um, and to be able to set things up, to be able to know that something is coming. And even though it's not here yet, it just gives you that, that space to set things up. The bells are here. I'll stop. Um, I don't know, can I go? Um, Opportunities for us, what we're feeling quite optimistic about is um, what we've found recently is people who, so like your startup, new build developers are not so keen to go forward because a lot of them actually do build to sell. They don't do build to rent, which is our model going forward. So we've had quite a lot of land opportunities recently that have come up, um, you know, from something from a three bedroom to an 18 unit site. because obviously we don't know what's going to happen. And for someone who wants to sell them, it's quite off-putting. Um, so we've had quite a lot of opportunities of that so far. I can only think that that's going to get even better as we kind of go on in time. Um, for us personally, you know, we've had things like partial blocks of flats that, you know, it's devastating for the people that are doing it. But like you've already touched on, you know, they've gone over their terms because of COVID. They've had to shut the site down. They've gone over the payment terms. They've had to extend their bridge. Um, and then they've gone into the higher rate of interest. They've been coming out and they've been trying to draw down. And instead of giving them the full percentage, they're giving them like 40% of the drawdown. And they can't financially afford to, to finish them projects. So it's chicken and egg. You know, it, it's it's devastating for them. But for us, you know, we're trying to do a win-win situation. And that's one thing I would say to anyone who's listening. Yes, we're going to get great deals coming up, but it has to be a win-win. Don't turn into a shark. Don't get greedy. It has to be a win-win for both. Because some people are going to go through some real hardships over the next, you know, 6, 12, 18 months. Who knows? Um, But I think we can help facilitate them to get them out of their sticky situation. But for me, it's kind of commercial conversions and and the new build developments. I think there's going to be a real opportunity um, for us as seasoned investors, if you want to call it, to kind of take take hold of quite a lot of that personally and Jackie's bells have probably stopped now so I'll stop <laughs> yeah they have stopped like literally have to time it every 15 minutes to be like and <laughs> <laughs> um yeah no I, I'd made my point really this this that we've got a great opportunity to be able to plan and I think coming off the back of what you've said Laura I think it's just we're having this conversation a lot, I think, today about this, like seasoned investors versus new investors. And I think just one thing that I would say off the back of this conversation is there are great opportunities to do a lot of what you guys have discussed. But just because there's an opportunity to do it, if you don't know what you're doing or really new to property, don't think that therefore that's what you have to do. Like you can still make buy to let work at this time. Oh, my God. There we go. Point over. <laughs> deals can be good right like everybody starts with a simple buy to let or everybody it's useful i love buy to lets i will always buy buy to lets yeah me too me too butter. <laughs> and do you know what it might take you longer to get to wherever it is that you want to go but quite frankly you have to be in property for the long haul 
If we were only in property for the next six months, I just wouldn't bother. Mm. Is that controversial? I... No, I completely agree. You know, yeah, we're I agree. Dream, aren't you? you know, get rich in six, 12 months, you know. I kind of bought into that, if I'm, if I'm honest with you. And, you know, six months in, I'm like, this isn't working, getting frustrated. Luckily, I worked with my husband, who was a complete polar opposite personality to me. So it was like, Laura, this is a long-term thing. We're never going to sell them. We get, you know, buy as many as we can when we can. And we build up that portfolio. It's not a race. The only race we're in is our own. And I think that's one thing you can get caught up in is seeing everyone doing deals online now. But actually, is it right for you? Maybe it's not. So just run your own race. And I think it's about balancing the risk versus reward as well. Like I think there are some some of these sexier, you know, or people call them strategies, sexier business models would be what I would call them. It, the, the, you've got to weigh up that risk, I think, as well, compared with the reward. Like, yes, you may be able to uh, make a thousand pounds a month, maybe net on it. But what's the likelihood of that happening? And what is the potential downside of it too? And I think because of the industry we're in being what it is, and it's a lot of marketing hype and what's, you know, puts bums on seats for events and things like that's the, that's the stuff that cuts through. And hopefully just a little bit of, of reality from people like ourselves who are not trying to do that. Um, you know, hopefully some people listening into this might just, just question and think and just dig a little bit deeper into the numbers and just risk assess things in a slightly different way, uh, with, the current market being even more of a reason to do it because in an upward market you can make some mistakes and kind of just get away with it but right now you you can't um and even if it means that you have to wait like there is going to be some sort of correction in the market some kind of dip but at some point it will come back again and if the longer you can wait towards the bottom of that dip before just before buying the easier it's going to be to come and like execute your exit whatever that may be um so it's you know just buy well if you're going to buy now obviously always buy well but now more than ever just don't buy something unless it's actually a really good a good a price that you means you can weather the upcoming storm mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. quick question on brexit how do we see um how do we see i can't believe we're still asking this question how it's many years i mean everybody forgets about it but um living the politicians in- mainly yeah <laughs> Living in a country that is doing phenomenally well on trade at the moment and just getting themselves in some really good spots, thanks to the guy at the top, I can see how important it is at the moment. Um, Also, none of that probably came across as sarcasm on the podcast. I don't agree with anything that's going on in terms of trade in this country. So just like, and I'm in the US. Um, How... Do you guys see this running in terms of property? Are you worried about it or are you just ready to just know what the score is and get on? I think it's just firewood, isn't it? Like there's quite a bit of firewood that's like building up this like end of 2020 looking like could be a bonfire. I'm being a bit overdramatic there, but it was quite a nice Mm -hmm. metaphor for a second. Um, Just like there's, it's just another reason that the beginning of next, end of this year, beginning of next year is just going to be, it's going to be bumpy and Brexit is really not helping that fact. Like it's going to be as bad as it is with how the timeline is playing out. Um, so yeah, I, I, I just hope, yeah, it's going to cause, it's going to cause just an additional ballooning of whatever the problem is that we go through. That's, that's my view anyway. I think we just, we just want some decisions, don't we? We want to move forward. We want some clarity on what's going to happen. You know, 
God, I can't, even, I can't remember how long it's been going on now, but it's like, oh, when Brexit happens, what's going to happen then? And we've been delaying things for such a long time. I just think we just need some clarity so we can all, you know, decide what we need to do best for our businesses and move forward. And unfortunately, I think COVID's just dragged it on even more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm so ready. I'm so over it and ready for it to be kind of decision made, move on, you know, get on with like sorting out our businesses proofing them to the point you know to be i don't know brexit ready i i i I don't even know but i just think that it's i'm just sick and tired of it i don't know if anyone else has had the same thing um but i I do think it will have obviously some form of impact the same way as the global pandemic has um i think there'll be from a development perspective because that's the industry i work in um you know, if there if there are fewer sort of construction workers coming from overseas or from Europe, you know, there's going to be a demand for labour, and that you know, if that outstrips supply, and you know, costs will rise. So I'm just, I think it might struggle. The construction industry might struggle a little bit, um, but I, again, I think if you are seasoned or you know what you're doing, you should be able to to weather the storm. But yeah, it's just another thing we're going to have to deal with. Once, once we're out of this pandemic, we're going into, you know, an even worse Brexit one. pandemic. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I would love to. I'd, I'd love to stop writing in my client reports all of the risks associated with Brexit because I do like I advise for international funds and um, sit on boards and advise about where the market's going, and as part of that. And also to protect myself, I have to always flag up the possible outcomes of a no-deal Brexit or a deal Brexit. Like, here is what we can expect in the market, or we should be forecasting. And it's things like, well, if there's a no-deal, are Scotland going to re-vote on their independence? Um, If we have no trade deal and we still have a Donald Trump president, what does that mean for trading with the US? Like, all of these risks that as a surveyor, you have to forecast for your clients and be like, and we're watching out for this, and we're watching out for this, we're watching out for this, which also presents as opportunities because if this falls and this happens and stock market changes and we can do X, Y, and Z, and we're going to be buying off of, you know, US investors who have now decided to sell up because the pound's looking weak. All of that will be so much clearer when we've actually got an outcome and we can't forecast for everything. We cannot forecast for everything. Natasha, do you think it's like priced in like already what's happened with like Brexit? Like it's been hanging around for so long. You don't, you think there's more pain. But I just think that's that's the um, international market. I think that Mm -hmm. locally we probably won't see much. And I don't think that if you're buying single properties, it's going to have as big a dip or there's going to be as Mm -hmm. bigger impact. If you are trading in these high, big like office blocks like Faith does and these big um you know there was a lot of like over the last couple of years there's been a lot of talk when you go to the world built environment forums about buy um health uh old old age housing blocks uh buy multi-lets in the uk you know buy up these massive blocks with hundreds of flats in them like that is where your yield is going to be that's the strongest yield in the uk And that is where a lot of the pension funds have been putting their money. That's where a lot of overseas pension pots have been putting their monies and huge rights have been putting their money in that. If 
if that all changes from um if that if that changes and that becomes something which becomes impossible for overseas investors to do, I mean we've already seen the increased two percent stamp duty, which is about to take hold for overseas investors, and that is that is limited companies as well. I think they're just going to start leaving the market for a bit until you know, and they'll leave the market. The pound will get weaker, and then they'll think, oh, my my money's stronger now. I'm going to come back in and buy up your cheap property. I, I just that's that's what i see could happen um and i guess from a sort of commercial occupier viewpoint a lot of commercial occupiers are going to be wondering whether actually is an hq in london or in a major city in the uk even worth it you know if if the company is say you know from a european country they might choose to have their HQ elsewhere, which will then have a knock-on effect on, you know, those the, the employees that work for that occupier are no longer going to be, let's say, you know, based in Manchester during the week and then flies back to France um, for the weekend. And so anyone doing, let's say, serviced accommodation uh, in Manchester who's servicing those, you know, business clients who are coming in, you know, for the week, their market's going to be gone. So it's, it, you know, it all kind of filters through. Um, so, you know, we, we're not going to know until a decision is made and then we start to see all of the effects trickle through. Mm-hmm. But so many decisions have got to be made off the back of this. And I'm going to just my personal view is, you know, we've been through a really difficult time these last few months. And one thing that I, I personally feel is that the UK needs to be a lot more self-sufficient we rely on too many other countries for our, you know, products, our services. And during this time, we've not been able to get access to them. And it's restricted us. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, you know, I'm in Sheffield, Sheffield Steel's renowned. And then it's all being farmed out abroad. You know, now's the time to start bringing some of that back. And I, I hope that Brexit, the positive side of Brexit, will actually make the UK a lot more efficient. A lot more homegrown businesses um, are going to start for fruition flourishing instead of you know competing against price from china etc because you know we're in a disposable world now i mean we're going completely off topic but you know now we're in a throwaway nation that you don't replace or get something fixed you just buy it again because it's so cheap um whereas we never used to do that and things lasted a lot longer Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you're right there are so many things I mean, Faith, you've touched on it as well. The knock-on effect from the start to what go trickles down, and it may not immediately, because of the nature of how long it takes to sell and buy property as well, it doesn't happen like overnight. So you have got that time, you know, and then slowly but surely you see industries change. And we can't forecast for how that, those industries are going to change, but you're right. Like there are going to be changes and we just need to be aware that that's coming. We can't do anything else about it. Like, I would love to risk proof everybody's portfolios for them. And, you know, if I could, I would, but I can't. (laughs) (laughs) Should we do a couple of quick fire questions? Um, Yeah. So a couple of word answers each. What opportunities do you see for property investors coming up over the next 12 months? Meta developments. Mm -hmm. Opportunity to buy uh, cheaper properties. To massively scale your portfolio in a short period of time. Mm-hmm. And take advantage of the cheap interest rates right now. Yeah. <laughs> They're very good. Okay, next question. 
Where do you think the investment hotspots are in the UK right now? I hate this question. <laughs> I genuinely don't think there's any one good hot. I think you can find, you know, your quote unquote gold mine area anywhere. Mm -hmm. um, it's just about doing the right due diligence and depends on you as a investor. Are you looking for yield? Are you looking for capital appreciation? There's just, there's so much more that goes into that question. So I don't know where the best hotspots is, are, sorry, but I personally invest in the Midlands and in London. Mm -hmm. I think there's definitely something about like just that area that's been slightly outside Commutersville um, up until the intersection sort of like London. So just outside of Commutersville, like you wouldn't be able to live there and commute in. Um, so I feel there could be a real resurgence, particularly more like some of these coastal towns that are just out of reach of Commuterville of London that you could feasibly go into the office a couple of days a week you'd have a long commute but from the most time you can work from home I think there could be a bit of a resurgence in those areas um which I I'm pleased about because I'm by the coast in Kent and before we are just outside of Commutersville but I think this could see a real uh, is a real good reason for us to be continuing to invest in that area so I feel very confident in that I'm going to say the North, because that's where I'm from. I feel like every international Southern investor is coming to Sheffield. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, Sheffield, Leeds and Manchester are the three major major places to invest up here. And, and trying to get a property at the minute is like, I won't say rocking horse shit, because I'm swearing, but I just did. <laughs> Um, I'm looking in the southwest. I think there's really big opportunities. It went up about six or seven years ago and then it got forgotten about and with the better transport links down there. I'm really seeing opportunities, especially because people don't want to travel as, as far east. They want to stay in the west country. And I grew up around there, so I love it. So, <laughs> like, so it's therefore the answer that it is a combination of London, the Midlands, the North, the Southwest and the Southeast. Okay. <laughs> which loops back around to Faith's initial initial point, which is there are always good yeah. reasons to invest in different places for different reasons. <laughs> <laughs> we completely proved that one, right? <laughs> Final question. Will your strategy be changing over the next couple of years? And if yes, how will it be changing? Oh, no, it's not really going to change. The only thing that we are shifting to is really what we're already doing. It's just kind of a bit of a the business model being done in a slightly different way. So I think we're continuing to do buy-to-lets. We are still buying blocks of flats. I guess the one thing that has changed slightly is just at the moment, the number of units that we'd be happy to buy in a block. Uh, we're just reducing it just because of banks' opinions on lending on those larger blocks and therefore also surveyors' opinions on how quickly those can be turned around if they had to be sold. So I guess that's a slight shift, um, but still very much doing buy-to-let, but also just being able to help other people to buy buy-to-lets at the right price at the right time. Um, but so, yeah, really, overall, that the kind of the model will stay the same. It's just we're kind of changing how exactly that, that works in terms of how we work with investors. Um, that's shifted a, a bit around it. Yeah, for us, I mean, nothing's really changed, if I'm honest. We'll always buy buy-to-lets. We'll always buy um, buy-to-lets for our investors. What we are doing, which has changed slightly, is we used to um, work with investors who would leave money with us for 12 months. Now we won't lend, um, take money for a minute, but it's got to be a minimum of three years, just because we don't know what's going to happen. We can offer them a little bit of a better return. Um, and obviously, we can get a few projects out of that. 
and you know we're not kind of restricting you know, if it's 12 months who knows what's going to happen in 12 months so that's changed for us we're now working with investors on a longer term process but we're just looking you know how we've always planned to do build to rent and um, that's what we've always done, wanted to do since we got into property so Going forward, we'll do, say, 75% of build to rent and then the rest we'll sell, um, depending on what it is. Or we could do a tenant buyer with the proportion, depending on what the market's doing. But nothing's really changed for us. We'll be just looking out for, for better deals on what we planned to do originally, really. Nothing's really changing for me either. So continuing to build the buy-to-let portfolio in the Midlands, um, that kind of provides the, the monthly cash flow um or steady income and then doing developments in southeast london mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i'm the same nothing's really changed i've got my buy to lets i did change my one essay to a buy to let just because it was becoming too much of a hassle and the amount of checks that i felt i needed to do to protect my cleaners when people came in i i actually thought i'm not i don't want to deal with the hassle i'm putting that on as a buy to let too so purely buy to lets in my own name my limited companies will now invest in commercial because that's what gets me excited and gets me out of bed in the morning when I'm investing so that's nothing really changed it's not not that I'm chatting about anything different from normal so I think we're all staying pretty focused so no one's bought a new course about setting up a new business is that the summary from this call You got on it as it was crashing. <laughs> Don't tell James. <laughs> I am joking. <laughs> on that note, <laughs> I think what we can grab from that is stay in your lane. Um, but choose strategy that you want to work on that excites you as well because I don't think any of us would be doing what we're doing if we didn't like it, right? And I think a strategy that, uh, sorry, um, a business model that gives you the lifestyle you want, I think is important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I would never do service accommodation because I don't want another job, personally. You know, I know you can outsource it and stuff, but, you know, you've got to get involved to start off with, and I just don't want that in my life. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. I agree. I agree. There we have it. Thank you, ladies, for coming and joining me Thank today. You. Thank you. <laughs> it was great. Awesome. Really fun.